This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. All right. If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Security in Truth. We are in our series going through the book of Galatians, and we're going to start out in Galatians chapter 4. We made it all the way through verse 7 last week. And so this week we're going to start out in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Now just remember that this is Paul writing to the churches in Galatia. And you remember there was a group called the Judaizers who had infiltrated the area that preached a false gospel to the people that sounded really close to what Paul preached, but it wasn't the real McCoy. He preached, that the Judaizers preached a gospel that said, yeah, you're saved through faith in Jesus, plus you have to become a Jew, you have to observe all of the holidays and all the festivals and all the ordinances of the Jewish culture, and then God will like you, then God will love you. And Paul heard about this, and he's freaking out because he's going, why are you guys listening to this? Why did you buy into this instead of listening to the truth that I preached to you originally? So he wrote this letter to the church in Galatia as a response to the Judaizers going out and changing the minds of the people by preaching a false gospel. So we're going to talk about today how we can be secure in the truth. You know, not knowing the truth makes us susceptible to popular theology. Not knowing the truth makes us susceptible to our emotions driving what truth is for us. And Paul is telling the churches over and over again that they need to be solid in what they believe and why they believe it. So my intent today is to help you to find security in truth because that truth will set you free. And when you're free, you know what you can do? Bless you. You can rest. You can rest. When you're free, you can rest. When you're in bondage, you're stressed out. You hearing what I'm saying today? When you're free and you realize you're free and you see that this truth has made you free, all of a sudden my heart is free and I can rest knowing that Jesus has paid it all and I just surrender my life to him like we sang earlier today. So let's pick this up in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 8. Let's read this. But then indeed, when, did you, not, when, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. said, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity that I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, it did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, listen, you, 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 you believed my message was legit. You believed what I was saying was true. Why now are you despising me? Why are you treating me now like what I was preaching to you before was just all fluff and it wasn't real. 
Why all of a sudden did, did you honor me and esteem me? And, and even though I was not doing well, even though I had physical infirmity, you still listened to me. You didn't consider me cursed. You didn't consider me stricken by God. You said, this guy's got the truth. And we believe that this is the truth. And now you've turned away from that. So Paul is really questioning that. Verse 15, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. You guys really really trusted me have i therefore become your enemy because i tell you the truth they zealously court you he's talking about the judaizers here they're zealously courting you he said but for no good he said yeah they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them but it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not just when i'm present with you oh snap paul is getting up in their face he is saying you know what You're zealous because these guys preach to you something that you like, something that agrees with the way that you're thinking. He said, but I preach to you the truth. He said, and you liked it when I was there, but now that I'm not here, you're going and you're flowing over into something else that's not true. He said, don't just be zealous for the truth when I'm around. Paul's saying, be zealous for the truth because it's the truth. Because it has absolutely nothing to do with me has absolutely nothing to do with how charismatic I can be or how influential I can be or how suave I can be. He said it has nothing to do with that. He said you be zealous for the truth because it's true. And don't be swayed every time something comes along. So how are we as Christians supposed to live secure in the truth when there are so many voices out there telling us to believe this or to think this way? Especially when there's cultural pressure to think or believe a certain way. When culture would try to dictate the way that I think, the way that I behave, the way that I act, the way I react, what's okay, what's not okay. How do I know what's really true? So that's what I believe Paul is trying to help the Galatians understand. This is how you know truth. And the first thing that you do to be secure in truth is that you need to know the source. Hello, somebody. I said, you need to know your source. What is your source of truth? Most of us would say, the Bible. Bless God, the Bible's a source of truth. Amen, hallelujah. Yeah, okay. Most of us in this room would probably say the Bible is our source of truth. But how you view, read, and use the Bible is important. Because scriptures are easily misinterpreted, skewed, and applied to our own selfish doctrine or our own traditions that we've just been immersed in. And we don't know any better because we're just believing that because we've always believed that and we don't really know why. And we take those things out of context and we don't look at it holistically and we don't look at the Bible the way God intended for us to when we make the bible all about us we're in trouble oh let me say that slow so i can say that some more i'm sorry when we look at the bible as something that's about us we are in trouble the bible is not about us it's about jesus it shows us jesus it shows us our need for jesus it points us to the cross and it keeps us there That's what the Bible does. It shows us Jesus from the beginning all the way to the end. It shows where we fit in the puzzle by saying we're the ones who need him. 
And he's the one who loved us so much that he died for us, that he gave himself for us. We can't make this all about us. You see, when we take those things out of context, we begin to put together our own scrapbook version of the Bible that suits my needs, my way of thinking, my traditions, the things that I like. I need to really know my source, but I need to be able to properly interpret my source. So that's part of discipleship, is learning how to properly um, contextualize Scripture. So what do I mean by context? We say that a lot. I always tell you guys all the time. We need to read the Bible in context. Pastor, we've heard you say that a hundred times. What does context mean? Well, here's the deal. Reading Scripture in context means parts of a discourse that surround a word or passage that throw light on its meaning. So that means that you don't just read that one Scripture, but you need to see what surrounds it. A lot of times people will take one scripture that they like and they'll make a bumper sticker or a t-shirt about it or they'll get some type of wood carving to put up above their kitchen sink and that's their scripture. But are you looking at it holistically? Are you looking at it in context? Or is this one scripture taken out of context and you're making it say something different? I know that people do that with uh, interviews all the time, don't they? You'll see somebody get interviewed, and what will they do? They'll splice the words together with what they said, and they'll just take that one sentence they said, and they'll just ride that one sentence. That'll be the whole campaign of the opposing party, you know, during the election year. You'll, that one sentence that person said, well, did you read in context? Did you look at the whole speech? Did you look at what was being said? Who was the audience that he was speaking to? What was surrounding that speech or that event? So when we look at Scripture in context, we need to say, what's going on here? You see, if I understand the fact that Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia in response to the poor theology of the Judaizers that has infiltrated the land, it helps me to better understand the intent of Paul's meaning. Doesn't that help us? So therefore, it's still very relevant to me, even though I didn't live thousands of years ago in the land of Galatia, and I wasn't one of those who heard the message of the Judaizers, because the same thing that happened then is still happening now in our day and time, because people are hearing different voices in the wind, and they're believing anything that sounds good to them, and we need to know how to stand for the truth. That's what was going on. But now that we know that, we can better interpret the scripture in proper context. And we can see exactly not only what Paul is saying, but what he's meaning by what he's saying. Because we believe that the words that he wrote were inspired by the Holy Spirit. That those words are words that God wants us to still hear because they're the words that God has for us today. It's the word of God. Amen? Amen. And so when we read it in context, it gives us the fuller meaning. The Galatians bought into the popular theology from the Judaizers... And they easily switched. They quickly switched their theology. And Paul is just blown away. He does not understand. He told them the, the gospel was free. He told them that the message of the cross was free. That while they were yet sinners, that Christ died for them. And that now that they're justified by faith, and, and not by works, lest any man should boast. And then they go off thinking that, well, now I can do that, plus become a Jew. I'll go get circumcised. I'll start following all of the tenets of the law and all the observances and the ordinances. And now look at how spiritual I am. You see, if my spirituality exalts me, 
and I make me the focus, then it's not true gospel. Hello, somebody. True gospel at work in your heart will make Jesus the focus every time. Every time. Less of me, more of him. Amen? So we need to understand that this is what was happening during that day. And these guys easily switched. And the reason that I'm preaching this message today to you is not because I don't think you haven't heard the gospel. Because if you've been in this church, you've heard the gospel. But because we can so easily get swayed from the gospel into works and become prideful. And we can easily make it all about us when we forget that it's all about Him at work in our heart. Paul was saying, I can't believe you guys made the switch so easy. How did you guys switch so easy? He said, don't just be zealous for the gospel when I'm in town. I think a more modern interpretation that would apply to us of Paul's words here would be, don't just believe it and amen this stuff when you're in church on Sunday. Don't just say amen and believe it and agree with it on Sunday. But truly, let this be something that has so convinced you and convicted you, that has drawn you to the cross, and that keeps us there by reminding ourselves of our need for Jesus. And that we continually remind ourselves of our need for the gospel. That we never get to an elitist status where we don't need Jesus. Amen, somebody. Let's keep on reading verse 19. He says, okay, okay, my little children, all right, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul is going, okay, you, you, you guys are supposed to be more mature now, but you're still little children, and I feel like I'm laboring for you to be birthed into understanding Christ, okay? So this is actually hurting me like the pains of labor because I have planted the seed, the seed has grown, but now I feel like we've got to do this all over again, okay? And it hurts all over again because I thought you had it. I thought you got it, but you were so easily swayed. Your, your roots weren't very deep. You were like the, 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 the seed that Jesus talked about that was scattered but in, the, in the shallow ground and, 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 and that it couldn't get deep roots. And because of that, it was easily plucked up. And he's like, man, I, we're doing this again and it hurts my children. My goodness, this hurts. But I'm going to keep laboring because I believe it's worth it for you to hear the gospel again. He said, verse 20, I'd like to be present with you now and to change my tone because I have doubts about you. He said, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman or slave and the other a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according of the flesh and he who was of the free woman through the promise. Now, these things are symbolic, for these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which, is, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it's written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now, we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. 
But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. All right, here comes Paul bringing back Jewish teaching from Jewish heritage from Abraham because the Judaizers had been teaching Jewish tradition and Jewish history and most likely had been using Abraham as a way to convince them that they need to be under the law, even though Abraham was not under the law. And Paul is trying to help them understand the whole purpose of Abraham. He's trying to help them understand the whole promise of the law that was given to Moses. He's trying to help them understand that it was all pointing to Jesus. And so here he is telling them, you really have two choices here. You're either going to be in bondage or you're going to be free. And I think that one of the greatest ways for us to know that we're secure in the truth is to always follow the path of humility. Because the path of the humble is going to lead to freedom. The path of pride is always going to lead to bondage. The path of the humble always leads to freedom, always leads to rest. The path path of the prideful is always going to lead to bondage. You see, the path of humility is the one that isn't dependent upon me, but rather it's dependent upon Christ. Amen, somebody. Here's Paul. He's explaining that the faith we have in Christ brings freedom and trust in our own works for salvation brings bondage. That's why he gave the illustration of Abraham and Abraham's two sons. You remember that God promised to Abram that when he was very old that he was going to have a son. He said, we're past child having age. If we would have had kids, we would have already done it by now. But my wife, she's barren. God says, no, you're going to be a father of many nations. He said, you're going to bring forth a son even in your old age. And he believed God when he said that. But then... He began to look at the situation of the fact that my wife is old, I'm old, you know, I'm sitting here going, I don't know if we can make this happen because she's been barren. If we would have had kids, we should have already had kids by now. And so Abraham says, I'm going to go sleep with this bondwoman, Hagar, and I'm going to try to get her pregnant so that I can have a son. So I'm going to help God out, okay? Maybe God can use that. And so he goes and does that, and she ends up getting pregnant, believe it or not. But it's not the son that was promised because it wasn't the one that came through his wife, Sarah. It came through the slave girl, Hagar. And this child's name was Ishmael. Now, this was the child of a servant. This was a child of a slave, but not the one of promise. It was the one that was done by the flesh because Abraham thought that he could help God out and that he knew better than God. None of us do things like that. We don't think we know better than God or try to help him out, do we? Of course we do. We do the same thing. We think it's my way. We think that it's God plus us. We think that God plus us makes things happen. And God says, no, I'm going to do this all by my big bad self. Okay? And I'm going to do it my way, when I want, how I want, and you just need to trust me. And when Abraham realized the error of his ways, he repented to God. And he said, I'm sorry, God, I I should have trusted you. And he goes back and he sleeps with his wife, Sarah. She gets pregnant. And then they have the son of promise, 
the one that God wanted them to have when God wanted them to have him. And out of his loins came the nation of Israel. And we see that that was the promise. That was what originally was supposed to transpire. But then when Abraham messed up, he, he, he tried to do it his own way. He tried to help God out. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you identify with the law and you think that you can be made right in the eyes of God through obeying a set of rules, and because you do this and don't do this, God likes you and loves you more than other people, then you're doing the same thing Abraham did by sleeping with his servant woman. He said, you're doing the same thing. You're not thinking that God's going to bring his promise his way in his time, how he said he was going to do it. You're trying to go, okay, God, I believe you, but let me help you out a little bit. He said, that's the message of the Judaizers. Oh, man, he said, he said you're not the, the, the son or the daughter of the bondservant. You're not connected to that if you're in Christ. He said, the gospel is one that is connected to the free woman. The one that is free because she's in covenant relationship with her husband. You and I, we're in covenant relationship with God because of Jesus. And we're free because of Jesus. Not in bondage, not in slavery, not doing things our way, but rather, he said, listen, it's through the promise. And your job is to have faith in what God said. The Bible says that Abraham had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is our right standing with God. Righteousness is the fact that even though I may fall, even though I may sin, even though I'm not perfect, even though everything in life isn't going exactly the way that I want it to, that I can still make right in the eyes of a holy and perfect God, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. Because of the promise. Because he loved me right where I was. He accepted me right where I was. And all my job was is to trust that what he did for me was enough to make me right. That's faith. Trusting in that. And, and it said that Abraham had faith in the promise. And because he had faith in God, it said it was credited to him. As righteousness. And then the Bible talks about our righteousness or our way of being right in the eyes of God and trying to do it in our own strength. The Bible says that our righteousness is but filthy rags. It says that's what our righteousness is. Our righteousness is filthy rags. We can't earn our way into God's good graces. We can't earn God's favor, God's love. So I need to be secure through faith and trusting Him and humbling myself that God's got it. Oh, hello, somebody. I said, I need to humble myself and say, God's got it. Instead of going, God, let me help you out. Because when I want to help God out, then all of a sudden I'm exalting my thoughts above God's thoughts. I'm exalting my ways above God's ways. And I'm trying to force God's hand and do something. I, I may try to give a little bit more money in the offering plate thinking that'll get my prayer answered. I might fast. Ooh, have you ever heard of fasting, not eating? What? Yes, that's right. I'm not going to eat because I know God's going to answer my prayer if I don't eat. Did God tell you to fast or are you doing it because you're trying to manipulate God? Maybe if I volunteer more. What is that? That's pride getting in the way of God doing what God wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and me resting and trusting. 
Because God is faithful to his word, and if he said he's going to do it, it's my job to go, God, you said you would do it. I'm going to trust you. How, when, where is not my concern. It's my job to trust that you're good, that you're for me, not against me, and that because I am in you and you are in me, that I'm more than a conqueror regardless of what this life may throw at me. And because of that, I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. And when he sees fit in due season, then he'll exalt me. He'll do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I'm going to trust him instead of trying to manipulate him or somehow put him in my debt. As if that were even possible. But my pride likes to think it can. My pride likes to think I can make God do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. Thinks that I somehow can manipulate his hand. Just like Abraham thought. That's why Paul was just scratching his head going, you guys are missing the message of the gospel. You're making the gospel about you. And, and it's so slick and it's so sly and it creeps into every one of our lives to try to get us to think it's all about us and we miss the point. It's all about Jesus. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? Yeah. That's why we always, always, always. Look at somebody say always. Then look at somebody else and say always. That's right. It's okay to talk in church. It's cool. (laughs) Always be willing to give up what you believe for the truth. Always. In other words, what I'm saying is, is that if you see something in Scripture, your source, that is contrary to the way you've been thinking or the way you've been living, You better get on God's bus. Amen? Amen. I am not your source of truth. The Bible is. Amen? Amen. The TV is not your source of truth. The late night evangelist with all the mascara crying is not your source of truth. (laughs) Your favorite author is not your source of truth. Oh, snap. Somebody didn't like that, so I'm going to say it again. Your favorite author is not your source of truth. Because here's the problem. People were fallible. Every one of us. I don't care what the Catholic Church says. The Pope is fallible. He needs Jesus just like everybody. Amen? I need Jesus. I'm your pastor. I need him. Just as much as you do. Because without him, I'm hopeless. But because of him, I have hope that this life is not the end and that I can walk in this life being more than a conqueror because of Jesus in me because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Yes, amen. It's not about me. It's not about you. We're fallible. People will say and do dumb things. People will be motivated by selfish ambition. We've seen self get in the way. That's why everything, we just don't take hook, line, and sinker because our favorite person said it. Our favorite author was on a talk show and said it. We just buy it. No, we need to go, what does the scripture say? Amen? Amen. Guess what? Scripture trumps Pastor Derek. (laughs) Wouldn't you agree? Scripture trumps your favorite author or your favorite speaker that you like listening to every morning or that you DVR and go watch. Scripture trumps the best-selling author. I don't care how many books they sold. It doesn't matter. 
I don't care how many people like them. I don't care what everyone else at work says or what all your Christian friends say. The Bible is the ultimate authority. And we all have to submit. So if somebody is out of line, man, I don't need to just go, oh, well, I guess they said it, so I better think that way. The Bible is above tradition. Oh, snap. Yes, he just did. Tradition is good, not against tradition. But if it contradicts with the Word of God and I exalt it above the Word of God, it's an idol. It's an idol. Sometimes we start off doing something and we've got the right intent and the right reasons and then somewhere along the line we got in the way and then we make it more about how we do it instead of why we do it. Ain't nobody hearing me today. (laughs) We make this so often about the, the how and we forget the why. That's why we always need to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth because maybe I've been believing wrong because I've been thinking wrong. Maybe you grew up your whole life thinking you were worthless or no good or an accident because that's what someone told you. And because of that, you grew up with this belief system that you were worthless or you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or you were born poor and you are never meant to have anything and you were born worthless and no one wants you and you're unlovable and you're not attractive or whatever you've been told in your life. And you believe the lie. And God doesn't want you to be in bondage to that junk. God doesn't want you to believe that for the rest of your life you've got to be addicted. God doesn't want you to believe for the rest of your life that you have to be a slave to sin because you are free if you're in Christ. We've got to be willing to give up what we believe because sometimes my beliefs are goofy. Sometimes I believe wrong. Man, I need to believe right. So that means I need to go, God, what do you think? Not what do I think. Who cares what I think? What does God say? I don't care what Oprah thinks. I don't care what the newspaper thinks. Man, let me tell you, if, you're, if the newspaper or the news is your only source of truth, you are a sad, sad, sad person. My wife's grandmother, God rest her soul. Yes, I'm talking about you, Memo. She believed everything the newspaper said. Everything it said, guess what? The newspaper is written by people. People have something called an opinion. And it's theirs. And sometimes people share their opinions with other people. And sometimes they get attention for their opinions. And we go, oh, well, that must be right. It's in print. Well, that must be right. It's on Facebook. Well, it's on Wikipedia. It must be right. (laughs) No, the only thing that I can look to and say, that's what it says. It must be right. It's the Word of God. Amen? Amen? I don't care how big of a following you got. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care how many people like you and think well of you. If it goes contrary to what Scripture says, I'm sorry, I'm going to side with Scripture because I'm going to be willing to give up what I believe or what everyone else believes and wants me to believe for the truth of God's Word. Amen, Amen, somebody. Let's keep reading here in chapter 5 and verse 1. Let's finish up here this morning. Paul keeps on saying, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised or if you become a Jew, because that's what the Judaizers were trying to get them to do, he said if you become circumcised, that you're a debtor to keep the whole law. Because if you think that circumcision is going to save you, you're missing the point. You got sore for nothing. If you think circumcision is going to make you right in the eyes of God, oh man, you are missing the boat, buddy. He said, listen, he said, you're a debtor to keep the whole law then if you think that that's going to save you. He said, you've got to keep it all with absolutely never missing a beat. And you can't do it. Jesus is the only one who fulfilled the law. Amen? Amen. The Bible said that. Jesus himself said that. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to show you the purpose of the law. It's what Jesus did. That's what he said. Verse 4. You've become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through Paul said that the Galatians had fallen from grace because they believed a lie that they could save themselves by being circumcised and following the law and the Jewish traditions. And he challenged them. And he put before them a choice. He said, freedom, rest, security, through faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, or your own version of it. Freedom and rest, bondage, condemnation. Because that's what a lot of that stuff brings. That's what a lot of people are used to when they come to church. That's why people don't want to hear the message anymore of the Bible because people have taken that message and they've distorted it to try to serve their own interests in order to try to control people's behavior. Listen, it's not my job to control your behavior. If that were the case, we all need to quit. It's not my job to control behavior. It's my job to preach the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can change your heart. You don't have a behavior issue. We have a heart issue. And we don't need someone wagging their finger telling you what to do and what not to do. We need someone shouting from the rooftops that Jesus is the only hope. Because he's the one who changes the heart. Because out of my heart flows all the issues of my life. Uh, Out of the the heart, I speak. (laughs) I don't need to tell you, don't lie, don't, do, don't say bad things. No, that's a result of a bad heart. That's a result of something in my heart that I haven't surrendered to Jesus. So I would rather tell you, surrender to Jesus and let him work on that. You need to give that to him. I surrender all. Amen? Amen. My life's not my own anymore. And when I realize that I'm bought with a price, I can surrender those things, lay them down at the feet of Jesus because my faith is at work. Because of that love of God at work in my heart. Because love conquers all. Amen? Because God is love. And He is at work in my heart. And I have faith in Him because I know that without faith it's impossible to please God. That's why the Bible says He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Amen? Amen? Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, we're, we're going to be able to see what is really at the root by the fruit you're producing. And if my belief is not producing godly character in me, if it's not godly fruit that's coming out of my life, not saying I'm perfect, because no matter what tree you inspect, you're not going to find perfect fruit on every tree. 
But am I producing signs of the Spirit of God at work on the inside of me? That's the test of, do I know Jesus? Are the things that I used to do now becoming distasteful to me? And now, because of Christ, I go, I don't want that life anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I may still have struggles. I may still fall. But I, I want to please Him because He's so good. Amen? Amen? And because my desire to please Him instead of to please and serve man, because that desire to please Him is greater, then all of a sudden, He's changing my heart. He's changing the things in me, and I'm realizing that that truth of God has penetrated the hardest areas of my heart, and it's just breaking chains of bondage, and He's setting me free. And I'm walking that freedom out. Because He said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. You see, I... The last thing we need to do to have security and truth is we need to inspect the fruit because faith works by love. That's what we just read here in Galatians 5 and 6. Faith works through love. You see, true faith in Christ is going to change my heart and produce works of love. Not me serving myself, but me serving others. Even Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to this earth to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. True faith in Christ will change my heart and produce works of love. That's the evidence of Jesus at work in my heart. So here's the thing. Security in truth causes me to rest in knowing that it is Jesus that's made me right with God. And that it's Jesus who has set me free. Amen? Amen. So I want you to remember these things. You can write them down. Security in truth that will cause you to rest comes from, first of all, you need to know your source. You need to know your source. And know that I'm looking at it in proper context when I'm looking at the Word of God. And I'm not wanting it to serve my own selfish agenda. And then I need to make sure I'm following the path of humility. That I'm not thinking of myself higher than I should. And I'm not trying to help God out, but I'm trusting Him. And I'm growing and trusting Him. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Then the third thing, if I'm believing poorly, I need to be willing to give that up and say, okay, God, you replace my poor theology with your truth, with your word, because that's what's going to bring me freedom and not bondage. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse uh, 1, he says, if any man uh, said, said there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for the law, the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Amen? And when I believe that, oh man, it sets me free. So if I'm believing the opposite of that, then I need to go, I'm going to side with you, God, because I want to be free. I don't want to be that son of the bondservant. I want to be the son of the free woman. And lastly, inspect the fruit. What type of fruit is it producing in my life? I can be secure in the truth knowing that he's at work in my heart. Knowing that the same person that I was a year ago, I'm not that person. I'm growing. I'm growing in love. I'm growing in truth. I'm growing in seeing the fruit of the Spirit of God producing in my life. When we know that truth, the truth sets us free. Amen? Amen. Makes us secure. We'll pick back up in Galatians 5 next week. So if you want to read Galatians 5 for your own personal study, I would encourage you to do so. I would also encourage you just to meditate on these things that we can do as a church family to be secure in the truth. Would you stand? I hope this has challenged you, encouraged you, pushed you to the edge, whatever it needed to do. I pray that the Holy Spirit has done that through this word today. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're like, 
I don't, even, I don't even know if I know what that means. You know what? It's not that God is so far away that you can't reach him. God is right here. He's right here. And he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he wants you right where you're at. He accepts you right where you're at. But are you going to accept him? The pathway to God is not your good works. The pathway to God is faith in Jesus. The Bible says in Romans that we need to believe in our heart and we need to confess our mouth, confess with our mouth that Jesus, that He's the Son of God, that He came to this earth, lived as a man, as a sinless, perfect man, and then He took the punishment for your sin and my sin upon the cross so we didn't have to. No greater love has any man than this that He would lay down His life for His friends. He loved you before you had a chance to love Him. So if you're here today and you don't know Him, I want to encourage you to take that step. We're going to have our prayer team up here at the end of service, and we would love to pray with you so you can know that you're secure in the truth, so you can know you're secure in your faith, so you can make sure that you understand that truth that's going to truly set you free, and then grow from that point. Because, man, we don't want to just get you saved and then just go, oh, now keep coming to church and just volunteer somewhere. No, 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 no. We want you to do more than that. We want you to grow in understanding why you believe what you believe so you can walk out that truth daily in your life. So we have a ministry called The Core, and we would love for you to get hooked up with that. You can sign up for that at guest services or let one of our prayer team members know that you want to be a part of The Core. Also, if you have prayer needs of any kind, we would love to be available to pray with you for whatever is going on in your life. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.